Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Mecklen. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Welcome to the Sunday Night Battle Cry. Uh, first thing I have to do is I have to comment on a lot of the comments I got last week. Because a lot of the comments that I got were about what I was wearing, which was pretty funny because I was wearing a suit last week. You're normally, you guys are used to seeing me in baseball caps and t-shirts and and there's actually a reason for this. So first of all, to those of you who said I look sharp in my suit, thank you. To those of you who said I looked silly wearing a suit, thank you, because that's true as well. <laughs> I never take myself too seriously, but I thought that the moment required more seriousness. And I, I do want to address briefly why usually I'm in a t-shirt and a baseball cap, and last week I was in a suit. Okay, the reason I'm normally in a t-shirt and a baseball cap is because that's kind of what I normally wear. Like around the house, around here, sometimes I'm wearing my cowboy hat and my boots, especially if it gets uh, to cooler parts of the year. And so the reason I wear that when I'm on camera is because I'm just me. And I'm not dressing up for you in some way that I don't normally dress up. And I know this seems kind of funny, but I'm usually wearing COS gear because I like our gear because I get to be part of designing it and I really like our COS stuff. This wasn't intended to be a pitch, but I, I'll tell you, you can get it at conventionofstates.com forward slash store. Uh, you can get all this gear. You can get the Second Amendment hats. You can get the Think Outside the Swamp shirts. But I, I wear this stuff because it's just what I wear. And one of the things that's really important to me, whether I'm coming to you on a battle cry, whether you see me in a legislature, whether you meet me at a grassroots event on the ground somewhere out in the country, uh, whether you see me on television, it's just what you see is what you get. I mean, this is who I am. This is my real life. This is not a set. I mean, this is my office. Like this is my library in my house. I don't know if you can see him back there, but now on the couch, that's young Winston up there who is now five months old, looking at me with very skeptical eyes, five months old, almost 80 pounds. You got Levi on the ground. He is now eight years old and he's about 145 pounds. It's just my real life. And so one of the things that's super important to me is that you and I have an authentic relationship. I'm not a television talking head who you don't know. I'm not somebody who's not like you. I'm not living some magically charmed life, living in some fancy place somewhere. This is just my regular life. And that's important to me because what's most important to me is you and the grassroots and having a relationship with you. Actually, I know a lot of you. From traveling around the country. A lot of you have met me personally, and I do what I do because of you, because I'm just like you, and I care about my kids, and I care about my grandkids, and I love this country, and so that's why you just see me dressed like I'm normally dressed. Now, to be fair, sometimes I clean up a little bit, and I put on a cleaner shirt <laughs> or a newer shirt than I might be wearing around here, but it's just the real deal. And last week I put on a suit because I think the seriousness of the moment required a suit, which is we watched as the FBI invaded the house of a former president of the United States, the chief political adversary of the current president of the United States, seemingly at least the front runner to be the next president of the United States uh, if he chooses to run again. And I think that's a very serious moment in American history. And one of the things that I introduced to you on the call last week was the idea of ending the FBI and a call to actually end the FBI. 
And I want to talk a little bit deeper and a little bit more about this. You can check it out at mthefbi.com if you, you want to see why I say we should do this. But I want to talk a little bit about it because we got a little bit of blowback from this. And part of the blowback that we got was uh, people were afraid. And I understand this. I'm not saying that your fear of the FBI isn't rational. In fact, I'm saying exactly the opposite is the FBI has become an organization of which regular, ordinary, law-abiding American citizens are afraid. And that's really bad. I mean, that's really, really, really bad because we're not supposed to fear our government. The government's supposed to fear us. And now we have this agency that can inflict damage and humiliation and reputation ruining stuff on law-abiding American citizens. And we've seen it, we can not make this about Trump because to me, it's not about Trump, it's about the agency and it's about out of control law enforcement agencies in general who don't believe in equal protection under the law, who don't believe in equal application of the law, who want you to be scared of them. And so it's not about Trump, it's about something much bigger. I'll give you an example. We watched them take Peter Navarro, one of President Trump's former economic advisors, off of an airplane in handcuffs and in leg shackles. Now, Peter Navarro is a 70-something-year-old professor. He's not a flight risk. He's not a violence risk. To pull a guy like that out of an airport in handcuffs and leg shackles, why do you do that? If your intent is not to send a political message to the people who oppose you, then why don't you just do it quietly? Why don't you do it without the leg shackles and the handcuffs? Because the reality is you don't need that for a guy like this. And I know for a fact that these agencies have discretion on how they arrest somebody, on whether they work through somebody's lawyers to have somebody turn themselves in. I'm not even questioning whether Navarro should have been arrested. I'm questioning the methodology that's used, which in my opinion is intended to instill fear in you and intended to instill fear in me. That if we are seen as the political enemies of the Democrat administration, that that's what's gonna happen to us. You've heard the phrase frog marched in front of the cameras. Well, that's essentially what they did to Peter Navarro. And that's what they've done to others on the right. And the intent I believe is to make us afraid. And I've heard people say, I was just talking to producer G before we went on the air. He said, somebody said to him, they're afraid to post on YouTube anymore about this or about COS because they're afraid of the FBI. And again, I understand the fear. And I'm not saying your fear is irrational by any means. But here's what I am saying, is that if you are afraid of this, then you should post twice as much. If you're afraid of that, which is not irrational, then you live in a country that spiraled so far out of control that you actually fear the police state in your country. And I'm talking about the United States of America. I'm not talking about the Soviet Union, and I'm not talking about Venezuela, and I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about your home and my home, where you live, where I live, where our kids live, where our grandkids live and will live. And I'm talking about the state of play in the country today. If you're afraid of your government, if you are afraid to post on YouTube because you're afraid of the FBI, and again, not irrationally, then you should post twice as much three times as much, five times as much, because personally, I don't want to live in that country. I don't want to live in a country where I have to be afraid of the government, where I'm a law-abiding citizen and I have to fear the FBI.
because that's a time where, you know, you've heard the old saying, like, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That's how the Soviet Union worked. That's how communism works. That's how totalitarianism works. We shouldn't have to be afraid of our own government. And the only response to this, the only remedy to that kind of fear is to act boldly, is to stand together. Benjamin Franklin, after the signing of the declaration, said, we must all assuredly, we must all hang together or we will most assuredly hang separately. And that's the moment we're at. And so I'm asking you to step into this moment, to step into that fear, to step into the risk with courage. When we decided to take this position, we had to resist the fear. When we decided that we were going to stand up against the FBI and call for ending the FBI, we had to talk among ourselves. I had to talk to our executive team. I had to talk to our outside lawyers. I had to talk to our board of directors. And we had to make a decision whether we were going to resist the fear or we were going to give in to the fear. And we made a decision collectively that we were going to resist the fear. And to the literally thousands, maybe tens of thousands of you that have reached out back to us and said, thank you for standing where other people wouldn't. Thank you for standing with us. Thank you for backing the play. Thank you for being in the fight with us. Thank you for the exhibiting your own courage. And for those of you that are afraid, I would say take heart and take courage from those who are willing to stand. We got to hang together or most assuredly we will hang separately. I also want to address some naysayers. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I Look, I appreciate that you guys send emails and tell us when you think we're doing something incorrect. And I had some of those. I, I want to be honest, they were a small minority, comparatively speaking. But to those of you who had the courage to write back to us, and I get them personally, by the way, and I read them personally, thank you. To a bunch of you, I've called you. And I've had these discussions with you. And I'm willing to do that. And so don't be surprised if you write an email telling us how ridiculous this is or how stupid this is or how you're opposed to this if you get a call from me. I can't guarantee that because I can't call everybody, but there's a good likelihood you're going to get a call from me. And so I want to address some things that people have told me. And I did address some of this stuff up front, but I want to redo it and clarify. Maybe this will help you resist the fear. So I had people say this. Ending the FBI is ridiculous because we need the FBI, because the FBI does legitimate law enforcement functions and not everything they do is bad. I agree with you. I agree with you in the sense that the FBI does do some legitimate law enforcement functions. The interstate going after interstate crime, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, things like that. The FBI is involved in that stuff. But the FBI was never intended to be involved in law enforcement activities inside the borders of your own state that don't involve things outside your state. You have state law enforcement agencies that are responsible for that. You have state police. You have local police. You have the equivalent agencies inside your state that are meant to handle all this stuff. The FBI should not be in there mussing with that. And in fact, I would challenge anybody, and you're all constitutionalists, to look at the United States Constitution and show me the authority for an interstate law enforcement agency like the IRS to be involved in state business inside your state. And I don't think you can find that authority in the United States Constitution. This is one of the places where the federal government has exceeded its bounds. And so while I agree with you that there are legitimate functions for the FBI, they can be parsed out to other agencies if you were to end the FBI, 
They can be returned to the states where a lot of them belonged in the first place. And actually, we can end the FBI. And it's not an outrageous and terribly difficult, horrible idea. And to the extent that it's difficult, and I've had Congress people say, and I've seen them respond to some of our letters and our calls to end the FBI, well, that's very difficult. You don't understand how hard that is. The answer is too bad. Because it's not my job as a citizen, it's not your job as an activist to tell them how to unravel this beast that they have created. That's their job to figure that out. And they have the staffs and they have the time and they can do the research to figure out what other agencies to put this out to. So it is doable, despite the fact that I would acknowledge that the FBI does some good stuff. Number two, this is one that I've heard quite a bit. You're impugning all FBI agents and not all FBI agents are bad, right? I have family members, this is what I've heard, who work for the FBI and they're not bad. We have friends who have worked for the FBI and they're not bad. I wanna give you the flip side of that argument too and then I'll address the argument. I've had a bunch of former FBI agents write to me and say, you're right, the agency is completely toxic at this point. It's against the interests of the American people. I retired several years ago because it got so bad. And thank God somebody's calling for the ending of the agency. That came from former FBI agents. I'm going to leave them nameless. If they want to come out and make those statements publicly themselves, that's up to them. But I have gotten letters that say that. And so I want you to understand why I'm saying this. If I were seeing out of the agency hundreds, couple hundred, 300, 500 agents sign a letter saying, we don't like the politicization of the agency and we're against what the leadership is doing. And we're going to stand together and say, we don't like this. We're willing to take whatever penalties they try to mete out to us. Then I would think there must be a pretty strong culture of honesty and integrity and fidelity to the law and equal justice under the law inside the agency. And maybe we can reform that agency. But I am seeing precisely zero FBI agents come out and say that. Now, people will say to me, and I have had people say this to me when I talk, well, Mark, you don't understand their job would be at risk. So in other words, they can do the right thing and put their job at risk, or they can hunker down, know that they're involved in an agency doing all this bad stuff and not put their job at risk. And to me, I understand that that's not easy. I understand there are potential consequences. I get all of that stuff and I look at the people in the military that have walked away from their careers, refused to take the shot, refused to do the woke stuff. And I say, we have an example. And I'm not seeing that example at the FBI. And so for me, that means not that every person at the FBI is bad. I'm not saying that, but meaning that the culture is so bad that not even a hundred people feel that they can sign a letter saying we don't agree with this not 500 people. And if we saw that, I might change my position. I might think, okay, the culture exists when inside the agency is still strong enough that we could reform this agency. I also wanna talk about the history of the FBI. And I think this is important. The FBI has literally, from its inception, been a corrupt agency. The first director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, it existed for a short time before called the Bureau of Investigation, but when it became the FBI, it was J. Edgar Hoover. I talked about this in the original video. J. Edgar Hoover, one of the most corrupt, known corrupt people in the history of the American government. The FBI was his personal plaything. He used it to punish his enemies inside and outside of government. 
He had files on all of his enemies. He had files on all the most powerful pop, uh, politicians, and he used it as his own political plaything. This was well known. J. Edgar Hoover was a serious racist. He hated the African-American population in the United States of America. He personally targeted Martin Luther King, one of the great heroes of American and modern American history. He wrote him anonymous letters suggesting that he commit suicide. And yet after knowing all of that, the agency chose to honor J. Edgar Hoover and name their headquarters the J. Edgar Hoover Building. This was after all of this stuff was known. And so this is an agency with a very long history of corruption. In the 1970s, Congress gave us the Church Commission. It was primarily dealing with the CIA, but also the FBI. And out of the Church Commission, we got some reforms to the FBI. Those reforms, by the way, gave us the, the FISA courts. Now infamous because the Inspector General have said the FISA courts are subject to all kinds of corruption and dishonesty. They're weird courts where the people who they're seeking warrants on don't have any possible way to push back. Nobody advocates for them and says these warrants are illegal or these warrants are based on false evidence. And we now know incredible false evidence. The Steele dossier forms at least part of the basis for the FISA warrants against Carter Page, which gives the FBI and the Democrats a way into the Trump campaign to spy on the Trump campaign. This is just fact. This is not opinion. The FISA courts come out of a reform effort at the FBI that Congress was going to do on the FBI. So for those of you who think that the FBI can be reformed, my opinion would be, what I would say is, do we do the same thing that we've been doing forever and expect a different result? And we all know that's the definition of insanity. And so we have to do something different. So I think calling for the end of the FBI is rational. And I think it's the only rational thing that we can call for. And here's why I say that. Now, I know there are those who will disagree with me, and God bless them. A lot of them, I have friends who disagree with me on this, people I respect a lot. But here's the question that I ask. And I've asked some of you that I've been on the phone with this question. When was the last time you watched hearings into an agency that was behaving in an improper way and saw great reforms and saw that agency turned around and are now really proud of how that agency operates? Anybody? In fact, I would add, are you really proud of how any government agency at the large scale federal level operates? Which agency do you love? Which agency do you think is well operated and should be trusted by the American people? And generally the answer that I get from everybody at best is silence. I've never had anybody answer to me that there's an agency that they know, love and trust at the federal level. Right? The federal government is inherently bad at doing things and especially bad at doing big things at a national scale. And they are subject to corruption and misuse and misdeeds. And frankly, yes, even the breaking of the law. I have personal experience with this at the IRS. I helped raise the funds and sponsor the litigation against the IRS that resulted in a $3.7 million class action settlement against the IRS. Right? There was wrongdoing proven by the inspector general. Lois Lerner herself retires on a full $100,000 a year pension after targeting the Tea Party groups. The IRS is still fully prepared and able to be weaponized against their political enemies, and they're now about to hire 87,000 new agents. There were, there were hearings on this. There was an inspector general report on this. This is modern history. So if we expect, <coughs> excuse me, reforms of the FBI, 
that are going to be enough to make that agency an agency that you and I don't have to be afraid of, that don't believe that it can be abused, that believe that it's going to be a down the middle law enforcement agency. If you actually believe that, I don't know on the basis of what history that you believe that. So to those of you who say we shouldn't do this because the IRS just or the FBI just needs to be reformed, I would ask you to look at your history and tell me what agencies have been successfully reformed that you now look at and you say they are the models of how we should operate a government agency because I'm not aware of any. Last but not least, and this is important, I had a few people say to me, well, this is not the mission of COS. This is not why I got engaged in COS. And one of the things that I want to be straight with all of you, if you don't know this, that we've always been strong about, and that is a central mission of COS, is we are building the largest self-governing grassroots army in American history dedicated to the restoration of self-governance in America. Does that mean that we're not focused on getting to convention? Of course not. Of course we are. This is a fundamental piece of restoring self-governance in America. We need to get the activists in the field. We need to pass the resolutions in the rest of the 34 states we need. So far, we're at 19. We need to call a convention. We need to propose amendments, and we need to ratify those amendments, taking power away from the federal government and giving it back to the citizens of the United States of America. This is a fundamental thing we have to do to restore self-governance. Is it the only thing? Of course not. If we do that, and then we live in a country after that, where the FBI is still this powerful, terrifying agency that is politicized and weaponized against their political enemies, then we've lost. So it's not the only thing that we have to do. And I don't think we should ever look at ourselves that way as citizens that like, oh, there's just this one thing and it's this only one thing and that's the silver bullet. If that were the case, Convention of States activists like you wouldn't be involved in school board elections. You wouldn't be involved in state level legislative elections. And you've done an incredible job most recently in Wyoming. One of our people, one of our volunteers in Wyoming, Evie out there, she got asked in the, she asked in the legislature when we lost last time we were in Wyoming, what can I do? And Senator Rick Santorum looked at her and said, well, you can run for office, right? She's a young mom. I think she has three kids. She ran for office for the first time and she's going to be sworn in now. She, she won her primary. She's going to be sworn in as a sitting member, I believe, of the Wyoming State Senate. That's what COS is doing. It's encouraging people to run for office. And we're working out there to the extent we can, according to the law in any given state, from just get out the vote, nonpartisan get out the vote activity, all the way to helping people run for office, all the way to supporting people who are running for office. And what we're going to see is we're this organization in one form or another, legally, always according to the legal guidelines, will be involved in over 450 elections this year. So if all we were about was getting to a convention of states, why do all that stuff? We are about the restoration of self-governance in America. And part of that is going after agencies like the FBI that don't believe in self-governance, that believe they should be weaponized against their political enemies. And that's part and parcel of the job of a self-governing citizen. So I wanted to come to you dress like my normal self again, and not that it's any less important, but I just wanted to come to you and I wanted to answer some of the things that have said to me about maybe we shouldn't do this. Why are we doing this? You shouldn't do this. Uh, one last thing I do want to address before I forget. I've had people say to me that, you know, we were not in favor of defund the police. How can we be in favor of end the FBI? It's the same thing. And I would argue that if you think those two things are the same thing, then you're not doing any 
nuance in your brain. You're not thinking critically. The reason defund the police was such a bad idea, first of all, is based on a false premise. The premise was that every police department in America was, quote unquote, systemically racist, right? And that they're all built upon the premise of racism. Every police department in America, and obviously that's ridiculous. In fact, we were never presented with a single piece of evidence that a single police department in America was fundamentally premised on racism. That is a ridiculous premise, and it punished the people that it was intended to protect. Inner city communities suffer, suffer, excuse me, suffered the worst from this idea of defund the police. And I'll be frank with you, if you could have showed me a particular police department that, like the FBI, had a 70-year run of corruption or whatever it is now, or more than that, consistently corrupt throughout its entire history that was consistently racist throughout its entire history where you could demonstrate absolute racist bias today in the police department and it always been that way that they honored their former racist leaders and it's always been that way i would have probably said you know we might need to do away with that particular police department and reform it up from scratch if we could find a way to practically do that i might have said that but we were never shown that the FBI is a standalone agency where we have the history, where we have the proof, where we have this long-term pattern of abuse, where we know from the top down the abuse is taking place today, where we know that no agents are standing up against the abuse that's taking place. We're not seeing it. There are, we have heard behind the scenes, 14 whistleblowers, but there's no mass movement of agents who are saying this stuff is wrong. This is very, very different than the idea of quote unquote defunding the police, which meant every single police department in America. And it wasn't, it wasn't reform them. It wasn't try to reconstitute them in a way where we still have police departments. It was just defund the police. So it's a very different thing. And we've got to be able to use our brains, use our common sense, use our critical thinking, use nuance and understand the distinction because it's a very clear and obvious distinction if you take five seconds to think about it. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. All right, what I want to do is I, I want to close here. I want to go to the questions and answers are the most important thing to me. Uh, Pat Domingo says, do FBI agents take an oath to uphold the Constitution similar to or the same as our military? I don't really know, Pat. I'm going to have to look that up. I just don't know that offhand. I assume that federal law enforcement agencies uh, take that oath. And if they do, it makes my point even stronger because right now, I don't believe they are upholding the Constitution. DeWitt Vowell asked, do we really need the FBI? I think I answered most of that. I think they have some valuable law enforcement functions. I think those can be placed in other agencies. So I would say, nope. We really don't need the FBI. Victoria Buckley says, who will protect the country if we abolish the FBI? I've never thought of the FBI as, quote unquote, protecting the country. We're supposed to protect the country at our borders with border patrol. That's being prevented by the Biden administration right now. The DOJ overall is the Supreme Law Enforcement Agency. Uh, the Attorney General is the head of the DOJ, the Supreme Law Enforcement uh, Officer in the country. The DOJ can do it. We don't need the FBI. The functions that they do can be parsed out to other agencies within and outside of the DOJ. Uh, Rebecca Dixon said, why do I pay most of my earnings to a crooked administration? Rebecca, I think that's a good question. 
And I don't like the way our tax system is structured right now. I actually would favor the repeal of the 16th Amendment and a return to where we pay taxes to the states and the states remit to the federal government. Uh, but right now, based on the 16th Amendment, you have to pay them to this crooked administration. That's the way it is. I don't recommend you stop paying your taxes because they will throw you in jail. Uh, Margaret Helt says, are you still funded by George Soros? <laughs> this is one of my favorites. I love this. And I get this pretty regularly by people who are insane, to be blunt. Uh, you know, I would just say, like, if if you think in some way that I'm funded by George Soros, if you could provide any proof of that whatsoever, I would love to see the George Soros funding. And I've made that offer to literally everybody, everywhere I go, I get some crazy person like Margaret jumps up and says, you're funded by George Soros. Seriously, like I've been in politics 12 years. I was one of the co-founders of the Tea Party movement, which was obviously conservative. I run an organization today uh, where our project is, is endorsed by Mark Levin, Shauna Hannity, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapira, Steve Dace, and lots of other very conservative people, people with strong decades long conservative credentials like Mark Levin, who was part of the Reagan administration, Robbie George, a conservative law professor at Princeton, who's on our board, Randy Barnett at Georgetown. I mean, these are people with serious credentials. Are we all funded by George Soros? Is that what you're saying, Margaret? Because I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's funny. You got to laugh at it. Uh, Faye Icequeue says, what happens in a convention of states? What happens is the states gather together. They're going to debate potential amendments to impose term limits on Congress and federal officials. That means the deep state as well. They're going to debate fiscal restraints on the federal government. That would include a balanced budget amendment, potential spending caps, taxation caps, all of that stuff. Uh, that's what goes on. And if you can get 26 states to agree, a majority of states to agree, then those amendments will go out to the states for ratification. It takes 38 states to ratify Literally, it's a super, super majority of states to ratify anything. Some people will say, oh, they're going to repeal the Second Amendment. Can you show me 38 states that would repeal the Second Amendment? The answer is absolutely not. Can't do it. And so really, it's going to be mainstream things like term limits, term limits on staffers and bureaucrats, balanced budget amendment, tax caps, spending caps. And how about telling the federal government stuff like you can't be involved in energy, you can't be involved in education, you can't be involved in healthcare. All the stuff where they're intruding on our lives in our states, we need to go back to federalism. That's what happens in a convention. Uh, Neil Sattler says, how many states do we have so far? It takes 34. We have 19 on board so far. Mark Easley says, what efforts are being made in the states that haven't signed to get them on board? Mark, we're growing the grassroots. That's the number one thing we can do. So if you haven't done it already, what you need to do is you need to go to conventionofstates.com. You need to sign the petition. That lets your state legislators know that you're on board. And even if you're in a past state, still do that. Get involved in all the other stuff we're doing. Then click on the Take Action tab. Sign up. Be a volunteer. Get in the fight to think outside the swamp, to drain the swamp, to reclaim this nation for liberty. That's what we're doing. We're using the Constitution to save the Constitution. And I'll close with this. Don't be afraid. And if you are afraid, use that fear to motivate you to get in the fight whether it's the FBI, the IRS, or any of the other alphabet soup agencies out there, if they come after you, we're going to be in the fight with you. As Benjamin Franklin said, we have to hang together or most assuredly, we shall hang separately. I'm going to hang with you guys because I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. I honor and respect you guys. I pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor to you. God bless, and we'll see you next week on The Battle Curve. 
This has been the podcast version of the Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.